Hey there, everybody. Welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Um, this is kind of a big day for me uh, personally. Um, I've lived here for almost four years, and I've always worn an uh, undershirt underneath my Aloha shirt. And um, this is my first day, no undershirt. And so I'm really glad. Yes, thank you. Thank you. It's a big day. I'm glad you could all be here. Um, if you don't know, Apparently, and I only found this out, you know, pretty recently, but people have been approaching my wife, Lisette, saying, does Charlie know that you're not supposed to wear an undershirt or an Aloha shirt? Knock it off. And so I finally caught up and no undershirt today. So be at ease. That's right. I'm not going to unbutton it too much. Nobody wants that. All right, let's move on. Really glad that you guys could be here today. Uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Acts, and we're going to be looking specifically at Acts 28. Um, and if you haven't been with us, Pastor Ron has been sharing... Um, about the book of Acts for, I think, over a month, and there's just so much in the book of Acts, and one of the things I love about it is it is actually a really exciting book. Um, there are parts of the Bible, let's be honest, Leviticus, like, don't read that on a Sunday afternoon. You will most likely fall asleep, but Acts is full of shipwrecks and storms, and we're going to talk about a guy being beaten, uh, bit by a snake, and Paul gets beat up a lot in the book of Acts, so we're going to look at some cool stuff. Um, and if you weren't with us last week, it was, it was really cool. I think we have a picture. Um, Pastor Ron talked to us about um, just this journey that Paul is on, and they run into a storm. And he talked about this idea of storms. And so at the end of chapter 27, Paul is, he's kind of told them it's going to happen, and they end up in a shipwreck. And the ship gets broken up, and they are washed up on the shore, and that's where we're going to pick up the story. So we're going to start reading today in Acts 28, verse 1. And this is what it says. Once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. I don't know what it is about islands, but it seems like island people are just nicer than other people. Right? Here, we got Aloha. Apparently, the island you know, people in Malta are really nice. And when I first read it, I was like, maybe they're just nice because he's with Roman soldiers and in general, it's probably a good idea to be nice to Roman soldiers. But throughout this verse, Paul mentions again and again how nice the Maltese people were. And so maybe it's that if you live on an island and you're mean, they kick you off the island, and then they slowly just like whittle it down to only the nice people. But something about these island people, these Maltese people, they're very kind to Paul. And so for us to get an idea of where Malta is, this is kind of a satellite picture of the area, and you can't see Malta because it's that tiny little dot underneath Italy. That's Malta. You can hardly see it. Just underneath that boot is Malta. And if we zoom in on it, it we see that actually Malta is not um, one island. It's an archipelago. It's a collection of islands, kind of like Hawaii. But we do know that Paul landed on that big island. And do you know why we know that? Because it's called St. Paul's Island. <laughs> Did my research. It's okay. But that's where he landed. Um, and you would think, looking at this picture, because there's a place called St. Paul's Bay, that kind of jagged bay up there, that's called St. Paul's Bay, and, and you would think, oh, that, that, that must be where St. Paul landed, but um, that's not true. He actually landed in St. Thomas's Bay, which in the next picture we can see is at the very bottom of the island. And so tradition has told us that St. Paul landed up there, but in looking at the, at the biblical uh, record and looking at, honestly, Paul is very detailed, uh, it wouldn't have made sense um, for a bunch of different reasons. First of all, um, St. Paul's Bay kind of has that jagged inlet, and there's a lot of cliffs, not a good place to try and 
washed up after a shipwreck. Also, just the way they were going, if you remember that picture, um, they're being blown by that storm, and if they would have continued along that coast, that storm would have blown them right up against the rocks. They wouldn't have made it all the way to St. Paul's Bay. So instead, they were most likely right there on the bottom. And also, it's actually really interesting, um, off the coast of St. Thomas Bay, there is a reef, uh, similar to the place where he describes where the seas come together in Acts. And actually, um, divers found four Roman anchors um, off the coast of St. Thomas Bay near Muxnars Reef. And this is a picture of them. They're in the National Maltese Maritime Museum, which is a tongue twister. Um, but these are still there, and they found these off the coast in the, in the exact amount of depth that Paul records in Acts. And so I don't want to be irresponsible. Sometimes we get excited about biblical stuff, and obviously that's what it is, but there's a really good chance that these were, in fact, the anchors from Paul's ship. And so um, all that is just to give you an idea of what Malta looks like, but the real truth is, is that it doesn't matter where Paul landed because Paul set foot on the island of Malta, and it changed everything changed everything about the destiny of that island. In fact, one of the things I love, and it, it, to me it's so like God, that how funny is it that Paul shows up on the shores of Malta as a prisoner, and thousands of years later, that island is named after him. I think that's so like God, and Paul writes about this later. In, in Corinthians, he says this, and said, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise, and he chose the things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose the thing despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. And I just think it's so cool that Paul, St. Paul's Island, is named after a man who visited as a prisoner. That's awesome. So let's continue. We're going to continue to read on in Acts. It says this, as Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake, driven out by the heat, bit him on the hand. The people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, a murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. The people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. But when they waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. This is an interesting 15 minutes for Paul. He goes from obviously a murder to apparently a god. You know, it's a good 15 minutes. And it's really interesting. We read that and, and it's just mind-blowing to us. But what this does is this gives us a picture into the way these people thought. Something you may not know about me is I, I love history. I'm kind of a history nut. I'm, I really love reading about it. Um, I listen to these long podcasts that my wife now makes me listen to on headphones because she's so sick of hearing them about history. And one of the things about historians is that they're always hungry for more original sources. Do you ever hear when there's some sort of, you know, when they discover some trove of information and we look at our computer and we're like, I could not care less. But those historians are freaking out because they, they want more and more information. Because the truth of the matter is, is that we don't know a lot about ancient people. A lot of the stuff that has survived, a lot of stuff was written on paper, and paper doesn't do well over time. And even if it was written on stone, it, it doesn't give us an idea of how the day-to-day -day life happened. So there are these huge um, empires that we almost nothing about the day-to-day -day life of those people. They will not have that problem if the internet survives. I don't know if you know this, but they keep in storage every tweet that is ever tweeted in the Library of Congress. 
some poor historian in like a thousand years is going to be like reading, you know, as somebody's live tweeting a trip to California Pizza Kitchen or something. You know what I mean? But they will have almost too much information. But we have the absolute opposite problem in history. And so one of the cool things about the Bible is that because it was so carefully kept through oral tradition and it was written down and it was preserved, we have a great picture into groups of different people. And one of the people we get a picture of are these Maltese people. And in understanding the way they think, we can understand in a broader sense the way the ancient world thought. And we understand that in two ways. And one of them is that, that phrase, he's a murderer, no doubt. He escaped the sea, but justice got him by biting him with a snake. And to us, that sounds so crazy, but to an ancient person, they saw in, in random chance the will and the justice of the gods. Right? So if something bad happened to you, it was because you had angered the wrong God, right? And this was so prevalent. It, we even see it in the biblical narrative. In, in John 9, Jesus is walking with his disciples, and he said, they saw a man who had been blind from birth. And I think we have this passage, yep. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? So it's that idea of, obviously, there's some sort of reason that this person's blind. They don't even give him a C, right? They're like, is it because he sinned or his parents sinned? There's no choice C. But then Jesus does what he often does, and he flips it on his head. He says, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. So this idea, this idea that is prevalent, it has been kind of, we see it across this culture, this idea of the gods punishing you through, through what happens to you. Jesus says that's not true. And throughout scripture, we see God say that that's not true, that, that the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. And we know that, right? That bad things often happen to good people. And the, the opposite happens too. A lot of times, really bad people have good stuff happen to them. The other thing that we learn from this statement, this little picture into the way that these Maltese people thought, is that this is a world of many gods. And we can tell that because it doesn't take very much for Paul to become a god in their eyes, right? If you think about it, you have to have three miracles to become a saint. Paul just got bit by one snake, and then he's in. He's in the pantheon, right? And I think sometimes we misunderstand this culture because if we look at the Ten Commandments, a lot of times we kind of put the first two commandments together, right? Don't have any gods before me, don't have any idols, and we kind of lump that together, and what we teach our kids is nothing should be above God. And that's a really great thing to teach your kids, but that's not what those first two commandments are about, right? Don't have any gods before me was very real to these Israelites because there were a lot of gods to choose from. And back then, it was kind of like fantasy football, but with gods. Are you familiar with fantasy football? Right? There's 32 teams, and you get to pick different people from different positions on different teams. And you kind of put that all together on your one team. And so on any given day, you could be rooting for like eight different teams to do well. right? And then if you have one defense, one team to not do well. And that's kind of how it was. You would draft different gods. right? And these Maltese people, have, they really believe in this new rookie, Paul, and he's going to do great stuff. And you kind of hitch yourself to all these different gods and kind of hope all of them do well. And if one kind of fell out of favor, then maybe be like, all right, let's get a new God. We'll get a new God for the kitchen, you know. But it was this way where there were so many different gods. 
And so this is the context in which Paul is, and he really understands it. But the interesting thing is that this is not the first time that Paul has been called a god, which had to be hard on the ego. You know what I mean? Paul's like, I mean, I did my hair pretty nice today, but you know, he he gets called a god quite a bit. In fact, in Acts 14, they're in an area that's um, kind of more Hellenistic, and that means it's kind of Greek-influenced, and they, they do some miracles, he and Barnabas, and the people mistake them for Zeus and Hermes, two Greek gods. And it's really interesting how he responds. In that instance, he, he quickly rebukes them, and he takes a moment to, to say, no, no, we are only mortal men, and we, we, are, we come in the name of the living God. But he doesn't really do that on Malta. Let's read for it, and we'll kind of see how Paul handles it. Near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him, and laying his hands on him, he healed him. Then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. As a result, we were showered with honors, and when the time came to sail, people supplied us with everything we would need for the trip. So it's interesting, and throughout all that time, right, he goes and he heals, and, and they shower him with honors, and they give him all this stuff, but Paul never speaks up and, and has that moment where he sets the record straight. And I don't think it's because Paul was being irresponsible. I don't think he was like, you know what, I'm going to take this one. I'm going to be the God of Malta, and I'm just going to have one little area where I can maybe retire someday. I don't think that's what he was doing. I think he really understood the context that he was in. Because one really cool thing about Paul, and I think the reason that God put him where he did, is because Paul both understood this ancient world, this world of power and many gods, because he was a Jew. The Jews very much understood that. That's why when Jesus comes to preach to the Jews, he comes with miracles and with healing. Because in this world, that power communicates the presence of God. But Paul was also a Roman citizen. And that's why when he's with the Greeks, he quickly rebukes them because the Greeks are a people of reason. You need to lay out your arguments. And when he goes to Mars Hill, if you remember that part of Acts, he he goes up and he speaks in front of them. He appeals to their reason because Paul had a great ability to kind of understand both worlds. And we see that. Paul writes that later. Again, we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians. Paul lays this idea out. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. This is 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too live under that law, even though I am not subject to that law. I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law, so I can bring them to Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. So Paul changes tactics depending on the culture that he's in. And it's effective. We see at Mars Hill, people are brought to understanding of Christ by his arguments. We see on Malta, he heals and these people come to know Jesus. And we know this because Publius, this guy whose father Paul healed, becomes the bishop of Malta. The entire community becomes Christian. And actually, it's one of the first Christian communities outside of that immediate area of the Middle East. 
In fact, even to this day, most of the island is Roman Catholic, and they have a tradition that traces its way all the way back to Paul, which is really cool. So it was effective. And I think that's important for us to understand because I think we need to understand our context and what the best way to share the gospel in our context is. And a context is very, um, very complex. The truth of the matter is, is that even in our own culture, maybe there are some people that, needs, that need that reason approach. But I think in general, in America, I think we're very disconnected people. I think we are more disconnected than any generation before us. It used to be that we would have a small community where we would depend on each other. Where, you know, if I fixed roofs, I would fix your roof. And you were a butcher and we would trade and we depended upon each other. And if there was ever a threat, we would band together. And that community was much richer. But now, we live really disconnected from each other. And I think people are lonely and longing for community. For some reason, Facebook just hasn't quite figured it out. Maybe they're one update away from figuring out the community thing. But probably not. And so you'll look in our context... Some of our vision, just so you know, is that we want to build a home on this block to serve our community and to house our growing family because we believe that this church is a place where people can come and and get connected. If you look at the way we do discipleship, we believe that you need to grow to love God, but then the the next really important piece is you've got to connect with other people. This has to become your family and your home. We believe that the love of God is communicated through his family and through connection and through community because we believe that's a response to the need of our culture. And that's this really exceptional and awesome thing about the Christian faith. In most faiths, their person that started it, he he died a long time ago. And so the things that he says and the way that he did things can become sort of a straitjacket. Have you noticed that of other faiths? And even sometimes in our faith, we get so tied to the traditions and the way that we do things because we think that's our only connection to the past, that only connection to the founder of our faith. But the amazing thing is that our God's not dead. Our God lives. And because our God lives and because he tells us that we should, in fact, change the way we preach to fit those people that need to hear the message, Because our anchor is not tradition. Tradition's a wonderful thing. But there's a reason we don't sing in Latin anymore. Right? It'd be a little bit of a weird worship service. It'd be a lot of watermelon. We'd all be kind of, you know. There's a reason that we've changed because it's better for us to sing in English. Do you agree? Can I get a amen? I agree on that. We're all, we're good with English across the board. Maybe some Hawaiian, but that's just because it sounds really cool. but we are able to change. We can change where we meet. Other religions are so caught that they have to meet in a certain building in a certain way. We can meet outside if we wanted to. We can change our programs. We can change our curriculum. We can change where we meet, how we meet, when we meet. And the reason is because our anchor is not tradition. Our anchor is a God who never changes, a living God who never changes. Do you know that's one of the most defining aspects? I would say that's the most defining aspect of our God is that he never changes. In Exodus, when Moses asks God what his name is, he says, I am who I am, meaning I never change. And when Jesus comes again, the thing that really gets him in trouble is when he says, I am who I am, because he's saying, I'm that same God who never changes. 
And that's why scripture is so valuable. If I write a book telling you how should, you should live your life, have you ever noticed sometimes they have a second edition of those books if they're really popular? Because later the guy goes back and he's like, maybe I was wrong about that stuff, you know? And that's why we, you know, that's why the Bible's so incredible because the reason we can count on scripture is because it was written by a God who never changes. That the love that he wrote of and the love that he had in Genesis is the same love today. He's the same God. And that's awesome for us. That's awesome for us. Because in your community, and some of you guys who are visiting, your community is different than ours. Your community may have different needs. Your community may have a people group that needs Jesus that you need to reach out to in a different way. And honestly, even breaking out of an American context, as you travel the world, you realize there are cultures that are way more like those ancient cultures than they are like ours. And there are cultures that are way more like Greek. A lot of these postmodern contexts, you have to have an understanding. You have to have a reason and a background and logic or, or they're not gonna be able to hear what you're saying. It's all about knowing your context. And that's what Paul did an awesome job of. But there's also something that Paul had that is a little bit bigger than just understanding your context. And, and I apologize. I did something that is kind of a no-no. It's called burying your lead. Do you know what that means? It means like on a, on a news show, they purposely don't talk about everything, the thing that everybody wants to talk about so that you'll stick around through the commercials. Well, the commercials are over. I don't know if you missed it, but there was a point that we read about where Paul got bit by a snake and then shook it off. Right, let's put this back, let's put this up on the screen. So as Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake driven out by the heat bit him on the hand, but Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. How cool is that? I would be crying like a baby if I got bit by a snake. And what I love about this, it says actually the, peop the island people saw that it was poisonous. Because that's something we don't understand. That's a way that we are better than Malta. We don't have poisonous snakes. Thank you, God. You know? But if you do, and I have lived places where there are poisonous snakes, you know the ones that are poisonous and you know what they look like. And so these island people see the snake bite Paul and they're like, oh, here it comes. And then they wait and they wait and it doesn't happen. To the point where, like we said last time, they look at this guy not as who is he, but what is he? And we do that in our context nowadays. Like now that we have um, sports on the TV and we literally get to see the best athletes in the world do stuff, there are times when a guy makes a catch and you're like, I don't think we're the same thing. Do you ever do that? I watch LeBron James play basketball and I'm like, I'm not sure we're the same species, man. I don't think I could do that. In fact, I'm fairly certain I can't do that. But generally, we kind of know, okay, this guy's human. But literally, these people see Paul's reaction to being bit by a snake, and they're like, this guy is not human. And I think the reason that Paul is able to do this, because we know he's human. We know we read Paul. We read that Paul has, has flaws, and Paul makes mistakes, and, and Paul calls himself the worst of sinners. So we know he's not a god. But what is it about Paul? What has happened to Paul that he can live through this stuff? And the snake biting, as we've seen in Acts, is not even the fullness of it. Paul gets beat up and then walks right back into the city that he just got beat up in. Paul goes into a storm where he knows he's going to get shipwrecked, and he's like, I told you guys. So this guy's special, but what is it about Paul? And I don't think it's that Paul has reasoned out his faith so perfectly. I don't think it's Paul's mind that makes the difference. And I don't think it's Paul's community. I think Paul probably had a great community. Barnabas sounds like a great friend. 
But I don't think that's what separated him. I think Paul is someone who has come in contact with the power of the real living God. And we see that, right? At the beginning of this process, we hear the story of Paul when he comes in contact with God and God blinds him. And he experiences the real power of God. And that changed everything for Paul. That changed everything for Paul. And that's something we need to understand, that while we need to preach love, we need to preach acceptance, we need to have reason and use our minds and understand this scripture and understand the world around us, we cannot leave behind that aspect of the ancient world, and that's the power of God, and that the power of God makes all the difference. If this is just a faith built upon reason and community, then it is not, it's not the faith that's described in scripture. This is a faith that is centered around the presence and the power of a living God. That it's only through the power of God that we're healed. It's only through the power of God we can even preach these words. It's only through the power of God that we can live a life that is different and set apart. A lot of times we get this idea that as Christians that we need to live a better life so that we can show people how good our rules are. And it's just, that's, that's fine. That's just not the gospel. That's some sort of self-help program. Only through the power of God can we live a life different. Only through the power of God can we live a life where we shake off a snake that bites us. Right? It wasn't Paul's reason. Paul didn't sit there and look at the snake bite and go, you know what? If we look at this logically, God's up here. Snakes are down here. I should be fine. Shake it off. And I don't think Paul was like, later I'm going to email Barnabas. He's going to get me on the church prayer vine and I'm going to be fine. No, this was a man who had come in contact with the power of God and it changed him to the point where he could shake off a poisonous snake. And the hard part is a lot of times we like to relegate those cool stories to the past, right? We read Acts and we're like, man, that was some cool stuff that happened back then. But we don't realize we're in the midst of the cool stuff. That was meant to be a beginning. That wasn't the end. The same God, the same spirit that is in Paul is in me. The same legacy of power and changed lives is is mine. And it should be mine, and I should live differently because of it. Ours is not a long, dead faith. And I want to remind you of a passage we uh, touched on earlier. In John 9, they ask about this blind man, and, and what does Jesus say? He says, it wasn't because of the sin of his parents or his sins, This happened so that the power of God could be seen in his life. And this is the really hard truth. For us, for this power to be ours, for this power to be in our lives, it's more than just getting to know God more, but we need to. We need to draw closer to God. We need to be in his word. We need to call on his power in our lives. But where we're really going to get to know God is when we call on his power in our lives in the hard moments. If you look at the legacy of our faith through Acts, if you look at the legacy of church tradition, the gospel is advanced when people go through really hard times and God's power is seen in those moments. If we look at the Rome when the, when the plague comes and Christians stayed at the risk of their own lives, that was when the gospel really exploded. Because I'd love to tell you that if you read your Bible enough, that the power of God will be in your life. But the truth of the matter is, is only by inviting God into the most painful parts of your life will his power be shown. 
I think that's why he gives us those moments. It's for moments when he can show that he is powerful. And the truth of the matter is, in this room, there are some people going through stuff that I can't even imagine. I'm not here to belittle your pain. I'm sure it's awful. But I will tell you that God wants to show his power through those moments and through the moments of the people you love and your neighbors. The testimony of our changed lives is what points to a God who's powerful enough to change those lives. That's what a testimony is. And I want to close with this thought. And it's something that as I read this, the one that stuck with me the most. Do you realize that Paul stepped foot on the island of Malta and he changed the destiny of that island forever. And he did so as a prisoner. And he did so alone. What could we do for the destiny of this island as a family of God? We are neither prisoner and we are not alone. What could we do to change the destiny of this island? Like Paul did. Let's pray. God, we want more of your power. We want more of your love. We want our lives to be changed, God. We just invite you as a body into the hard moments, into the challenging moments, into the gut-wrenching, heartbreaking moments in our lives and in the lives of those we love, Lord. We invite you to come and to show your power. God, would you show this world who you really are, that you're a God who never changes, whose love is forever, whose grace is forever, whose justice is forever. Lord, would you come, would you change our contexts? Would you use us to bring about change? Lord, it's in your name we pray, amen.